0: hello is it me you're looking for joking hi it's the transection podcast again but you know that because you clicked on it to listen to it i think unless uh, you're on some sort of automatic playing list thing uh in which case aren't you lucky and hello this is harris from Transaction podcast we've got loads of cool material in the works at the moment uh, but we had a bit of a mental week last week, so I'm doing another little Q and A for all those lovely questions that you've sent in. It seemed appropriate, so I'm just recording those at the moment. Um, if you haven't already followed us on social media, what are you doing? You can, of, of course. There's no pressure. We don't love you any less. We're on Facebook at the Transsection Podcast, Twitter at Transection P and Instagram at Podcast, And if you haven't signed up to our mailing list already, um, I would encourage you to do that. Pretty please, you don't have to, but if you want to, it's at muxharrishill.com forward slash transaction. We'll email you once, maybe twice a week. We're not spammy, but we'll let you know when uh, episodes come out. That's That's the main one. And occasionally we might email you about something else, Maybe we're doing a bit of research or we've got something else to let you know about or even ask you about. But it's not too much. I don't have energy for lots of emails and I think most people don't. We have too much as it is. Anyway, that's me. Uh, On an upcoming episode, we have an interview with the amazing Juno Roche, who is a trans author and activist. And she's just the bee's knees and we had a really amazing conversation all about creativity and she lives in the uh, uh spanish mountains with dogs just her and her dogs in a farming community and that's where she writes originally from south london i believe and she's just just all um, all round amazing very interesting person and very gentle and lovely but also very she's got lots of very positive things to say about our community and it was lovely to listen to real balm for the soul so if you yeah keep an eye out for that in fact if you sign up to our mailing list you'll know about it the second it's out highly recommend it if you're a creative person or you need some to hear some nice things about trans stuff and some nice affirming melodic tones of uh, a very talented and intelligent author an activist. You know, look forward to it. Here's a clip. With each book, I knew that there was a kind of slightly different theme um, that I wanted to kind of approach. And I just knew that it wasn't, I wanted to kind of collect us Mm. now. I was tired of seeing people kind of like on Twitter, for example, just kind of constantly saying that trans people were having a terrible time and that trans people and you know and that's part partially that's true I'm not, I'm not denying that's true but also there were a lot of trans people who were having great times and falling in love and, and having great sex and being romantic and feeling powerful and putting on great shows at the theatre or putting on you know creating great art or great literature or, and, and I really wanted to record that almost like a kind of snapshot of trans life now i hope you enjoyed that it was really amazing to listen to her i had to keep reminding myself i thought like, oh i can't just listen i'm actually taking part in this I Had to keep rem- remembering that i i have a bit to do i have to talk as well it was um it was really good anyway time for this week's episode For sending your questions into the transaction Podcast. So here we go. I've got some interesting ones. Jilly asks, here's a question for discussion: when did you first become aware of the concept of gender? This is a good one, Jilly. Uh, for me personally, I don't think I ever really knew what anyone was on about. I even remember in primary school, or uh, not even primary school, nursery, when I was very small people talk about boys and girls and men and women and this and that. And I just, I sort of accepted it, but I didn't really relate. So it was always there, I guess, as long as I can remember. But I just didn't really know what anyone else was talking about. And that is still the case now, interestingly. Uh, I just trust people that they know what they're talking about, about themselves. You know, they're expressing themselves to me. I believe them and I validate that, but it's just not something i relate to i hope that answers your question jenny thanks for that annie asks is gender a social construct a lot of scholars and academics will tell you gender is definitely a social construct and even a lot of people within the movement will tell you that gender is a social construct i would say it's a little bit more nuanced than that i would say that there's a social construct around gender i think it would be inauthentic and maybe a bit dictatorial to say that gender doesn't exist outside of the social construct i know there are a lot of arguments for and against this but ultimately i've spoken to so many people who really have such a strong internal sense of gender cis and trans alike that i don't think it would be right to say definitely that that's all it there is to it and that without the social construct of it we would all be genderless i mean obviously i feel genderless but i think to to say that that's true of everybody i don't i don't believe that right now and i don't think that that's the goal i think that everyone has their own relationship with gender or genderlessness or whatever and that's up to the individual and it's not really it's neither here nor there what we think or what we want in terms of like a, u- a universal belief or attitude around this thing besides validating people and accepting that multiple stories exist and multiple realities exist other than our, than our own and ours is not the only one and it's not the only valid one and it's not the best one that ultimately we should be making room for everybody to be themselves and that gender is something that should be a good thing or at least at least not a bad thing it should work for you that's what i think so thank you annie for that question sophie sent in a message that says why is gender forced upon children why can't we have kids clothes instead of boys clothes and girls clothes sincerely parent of a pissed off child i'll bless you sophie's child i don't know what your name is love but I understand that feeling. It is a bit rubbish, I'm not gonna lie, it is a bit rubbish. I think Sophie's child, and obviously I'm only calling you that cause I don't know your name, I'm not suggesting that that's your only identity, that you're the child of somebody else. It's maybe a bit deep, I don't know how old you are. Um, I think that part of it is that gender is forced upon children because if we're conditioned. To be a certain way from birth, then we're easier to control. We know our places and we are more likely to take part in the system as it exists. I think, I think that for people whose uh, interest it, it, it's in to keep everything the same and keep everything very homogenous, if that's the right word, I think it's in their interest to do that, to keep everything going exactly as it is. And I think that it threatens that to say, well, actually, I don't really wanna do it that way. It's not really, I don't actually like that or that doesn't work for me. I think that those of us who don't see things that way, or that's not our reality, that's not our our experience at all. I think that that probably threatens people who are in control and want things to be very simple and work a very specific way. So I think it's definitely partly that and I think that clothes come into that as well. If, you, if you're if you told you have to dress this way or you have to dress that way then and you do anything that is different then everybody's conditioned that they might even then bully you or make you feel shame so that you stop doing it. So ultimately it's not just like the culture that's wants you to behave a certain way it it gets everybody to join in so that you can't it's more difficult to just be yourself because there's always people around who are watching what you're doing and make like um making sure that you're behaving the way that they've been told everyone should behave do you know what i mean it's almost like having unpaid gender police everywhere because. You have these people who are really committed to this way of living even though they don't know why they just feel that it's very important and that if you a child or an adult do anything different that that's we we have to be worried about that and concerned and force people to do what's expected of them so I'm sorry if that's a, a bit of a deep answer for a child <laughs> I'm sure you're very intelligent and you will you will know maybe more of this answer than I do. I think children are very intelligent. So yeah, that's why I think. I think it just makes us all conform and all behave and do things the way that we're told. It's another aspect of not thinking for ourselves. You know, if we're not controllable, then uh, that causes problems for people in charge. That's what I think. Efa asks... Why do you think society still insists on forcing people into perceived gender roles, especially from a young age? Gender based toys, games, etc. Yeah, Aoife, I think this uh, feeds into Sophie's child's question. I do think there's a lot around control. And I also think, if I'm going to be really dark about it, um, that certain behaviours are nurtured in certain genders of children or assumed genders of children because those are the behaviors that we want from our adults. We don't want powerful men to be too emotionally involved with anything because we want them to use, you know, obviously I'm not speaking about me and you, but the but culture. They want men to be powerful but not too powerful you know with their emotions and feelings that they're going to upset the status quo and equally I think they don't want women to feel that they they have too much agency they I mean I think women are usually conditioned to be the emotional support for their families and their communities but at the same time then it's kind of like it's ensured that They don't get too much out of their box. They don't have enough power to, again, make any too much change either. I mean, obviously, many women and men over history have bucked that trend and have, have sort of put their fingers up to the man. But on the whole, I think that things do stay the same because of social pressure. And I think that you have to do that from the start. If you've never uh, instilled any kind of gender stereotypes on somebody from when they're little and you just introduce it to them as an adult, it's too late. You're going to be like, fuck off, I'm not doing that. Why would I do that? That's silly. You know, on your bike. And and it would just be like a silly concept. But if you, if you condition people from very small, then it's all they've, they're ever going to know. They say that the first seven years of our lives is when the real core programming goes into our brains. And so after that, it's much more difficult to get into that or change it or alter it or deal with it. So if we've suffered, for example, like uh, the trauma of poverty when we're in those formative years, we've suffered abuse at the hands of an adult or maybe even an older kid or something, or we've had like a long stay in hospital like you can have trauma around your health and things like that. Those things stay with you a lot longer uh from up to the age of seven, even if you don't remember the details it does form part of your core programming if you particularly if you had a negative experience so It's so important for people who want everyone to behave a certain way and to kind of support and enforce the cultural norms. It's really important to make kids behave that way and understand all of this stuff before the age of seven. And they've done loads of uh, studies and experiments within classrooms with younger kids. I watched a program, I think it's in the last year or two, of these little kids in a... Uh, an English primary school no older than seven and they asked the kids like what do you want to be when you grow up and already these kids were conforming to gender stereotypes and often when they asked the girls oh why wouldn't you do this job or that job they would be like oh no because that's a boy's job and they're like well if you could do it would you and a lot of them said well yeah I would love to but I'm not allowed nobody had explicitly told them that it was just understood already at that cultural age and they also asked similar questions of kids about who's better at this, that, or the other, and again, they were already hyping up the boys and saying that the girls were all right or not as good, even though there was that wasn't reflected in their homework or their grades or whatever at, actually at school. So already we have with young children, even though it's not, they're not it literally told boys are better than girls and things like that. But it still comes out in what they believe because of all of the things that they're absorbing over the first however many years of their lives in lots of little moments. So it's really insidious, actually, and it really gets under the skin of, of kids and adults alike in lots of little ways over and over again. It's almost unspoken so much of it. I mean, I'm, I'm sure that plenty of us can come up with examples of very uh, unsubtle, very literal things that have happened to us with this sort of thing. But for the most part, I think it is, it's underhand. So that's what I think, it's not as simple, I think it's not as simple as saying like, oh, you can wear what clothes you want or you can play with what games you want. I think it's way deeper than that. I think it's about valuing yourself and being taught that you're going to be more valued if you do things that are expected of you. Even if nobody's shamed you, it's not the same. People do get better and reactions if they conform, they really do. That's what I think, that's, that's what I see so far. Malou asks, what can we do as parents to support our child's gender expression? It would be good to hear from people what they wish their parents had done differently so we can learn from that. It's a really good question Malou, Um, obviously I've only got my answer and the things that I remember that people have told me so this is definitely an important one that we can ask the wider audience, in fact if you want to join in with this question or any of the ones that we've asked tweet us at P or message us on Instagram at Transsection Podcast, or even uh, at the Transsection Podcast on Facebook, and we can read them out. We could feature you on a future episode. But from what I know, Malou, supporting your your child's gender expression is purely about giving them choice and letting them choose. Uh, in terms of how they behave the things that they like clothes books toys it, it's all about options and respecting that and even if so you you're talking about gender expression which is not the same as gender identity but in case that's not what you meant if you want to support children's gender identity as well it's just about giving kids the information of like, this is how the world works and everybody's a bit different and that's fine. And we've made these assumptions about you, but if that's not true, then that's absolutely fine. And saying, uh, giving your kid information about all these things, obviously in an age appropriate way and just letting them explore that. And something that a lot of people worry about or don't know if they're new to this subject is that for kids who do explore their gender, and particularly if they start to to really insist that their gender is not the one that you thought, there's no need to panic about any of that. Yes, there are going to be challenges, but in terms of surgery or medical intervention and stuff, that's that's not something that happens when you're literally a child. You might be supporting your kid in how they want to dress or how they want to be called their pronouns and their name maybe and there's it's really healthy actually to let kids explore that because when you're when you're young like that young you've got lots of time and it's more important to try that out than not to i dated uh, a non-binary person a couple of years ago who had tried to come out at the age of 24 And whose father had said, you try and do that again, I'll disown you, I'll never talk to you again. So when we were going out, it was 10 years later and they were just tentatively trying again in their mid-30s. And still struggling terribly with it. And it's just, uh, I don't want to put too fine a point on it because everybody's got their pain. And being trans and finding that liberation is fantastic or it can be in given the right support and everything like it should be the uh, a lovely a lovely thing that happens to you even if it's a bit tricky um but this ex of mine you know it, did, it just did years and years of damage so I know Malou that you would never behave like that or want that for your kid and you'd be very loyal and prepared to do whatever was necessary and you I think, you know, I know you as a parent and you'd be good at that. But ultimately, I think it's about just giving our kids the information. And just being honest with them about the whole thing and making sure that they have options and that they feel supported regardless of what choices they make. That's what I would say overall. I think that's a good rule of thumb for everything. And the uh, other thing that I would add is just to question, like when you're gendering something or your attitude to things, I think that's actually really tricky because you might find yourself, uh, you might realise, oh, I've not done this hobby ever. And actually, I've always really wanted to, but I don't because I don't feel that it's, I don't know, ladylike or masculine enough. And also the way that we interact with other people. Do we apologise for interrupting a lot and let people interrupt us? There's loads and loads of different things in our behaviour that I think is really telling and and very formative for our children and the people who look up to us. That we may not realise that we've done. You know, it's about setting an example and also living those values as well as teaching them. So that's what, yeah, that's what I would say. Tracy asks... Other than misgendering and using a person's dead name, are there any big no-nos cis people should be aware of? Tracy, I think the biggest no-no when you're supporting someone who's trans and or non-binary is that you never out someone, which means that you never reveal somebody's trans or non-binary status without their permission or without having that conversation first. Because... Unfortunately, there's a lot of discrimination and violence that goes on, particularly for trans feminine people. And that means somebody who was possibly assigned male at birth and has moved more towards the feminine side in their gender. People in that camp who are moving more towards their their femininity or their feminine gender or rejecting their masculine assigned gender Those people are at more risk of violence and discrimination than anybody else. And particularly if they're not white. So it's really, really important to remember who you're talking to. And who you're talking about and how safe it is. Safety is the number one thing that we need to think about. So that's that's the first thing. Another thing is about how we deal with the sharing people's information about before and after they're coming out. So this is something that happened to me, has happened to me multiple times actually since I've come out, is that people occasionally will still share pictures of me when I was younger, when I was trying to conform, um, like maybe when I had long hair or was wearing a dress. And when people have shared that, probably innocently, I'd rather give them the benefit of the doubt, especially when they're usually such supportive people. But when things like that have happened, it's really, I really feel like I'm heartbroken. I feel like I've been slapped in the face. And I know that that's not the intention, but actually we need to be really careful about how we discuss and share things about our loved ones before and after they've come out. I, I don't mind seeing pictures of myself younger or growing up or before I came out providing that I'm not in a dress or don't look really feminine or it's like not a time when I was pretending that I was a girl or woman <laughs> not that there's anything wrong with that oh god I'll get a bit hot when I think about that I really don't like it um so for me that's just that's very difficult and occasionally people are still dead naming me as well they're still using my dead name and I just fucking hate it that's for you Tracy I know that you like it when I swear (laughs) so yeah it's just talk to people like you know can I can I share this or like where are the boundaries and I understand that in the current culture and how things are of course It's partly up to people like me to communicate our boundaries because that's our responsibility as adults and as individuals. However, like a bit of support would fucking go a long way. It's so hard um, to have to confront people about these things all the time. Most of the time I look at something and I just think I'm too scared. I'm too tired. I, I don't want to have to have these conversations over and over again. You know, I've got family members that I don't see very often. and They still occasionally deadname me online and I have to go back and say, my name is Harris. This is my legal name. Please do not use my dead name. If you see somebody else using my dead name, please correct them and remind them that this is my name. Do not call me that anymore. And it's painful. It's not just about, I'm not just getting annoyed about it because I'm precious. This is really, it's damaging. It is really damaging and it's very... Um, very painful if you can think I don't know if this would be a particularly good analogy but if you can think about maybe being in an unhealthy relationship maybe uh, an abusive relationship and that's something that I can relate to you know you don't want to like it's like sharing and it's not you know it's not the the gender's fault like I don't blame girlhood or womanhood for my dysphoria but for me, regardless of that, it was like girlhood and womanhood and me were shoved together in this horrible, dysfunctional relationship that was just so painful, it didn't work for either of us, and we were forced like lit it's like a like we were forced to live together when we didn't we didn't work for each other for years and years and years, and then it's like people dragging up the fucking wedding photo do you know what I mean it's just a fucking stab through the heart and I really I really hate it it's, it's a really sad painful and uncomfortable thing to just shove in mine or other people's faces I just need to add that for some people in my community they feel completely comfortable with all that stuff and they don't mind they've made their peace with it maybe I will one day but ultimately it's just really not something you want to do like big time, it's something you've got to be really careful about, and as well as that, it's it's also about, you know, how do you refer to somebody before they came out, you might just literally say before they came out, or before they, I mean, transition is probably the wrong word, because transition does, doesn't happen overnight, but yeah, it's just about being respectful and talking, you know, you don't talk about when somebody used to be a girl or a boy, unless they explicitly use that language to describe their own individual journey you just don't do it okay because it's not true you might say when they were pretending to be a girl or a boy but even then it's not it's not particularly validating if you can draw the parallel of if somebody comes out to you is gay you don't say when they used to be straight because the premise is that they probably were always gay I mean I guess, again, it's nuance, but you need to talk to people. Like, uh, and if you're not sure, err on the side of caution. Talk about the positive thing that happened before they transitioned, before they came out, before they were true to themselves, you know, rather than when they used to be XYZ. I think the language and the attitude is more important than anything. And I do think that empathy can get us really bloody far, to be honest. And being willing to have those conversations. I've got friends who still message me like, I was going to share this thing earlier. I was going to tag you in this, but then I wasn't really sure. You know, like how, how should I go about that or shouldn't I? Or what's the deal with that? And then I'll respond, oh yeah, I totally relate to that. So you could have tagged me in that and said, you know, if it's something about like, I don't know, women's health or fucking something like that, then you could have tagged me in it and said, Like and put a little caveat like, and other genders or, you know, people assigned female at birth or whatever, and just acknowledged it. I don't expect the world to change, to be inclusive by tomorrow, because if that was going to happen, it would have done already. This is a long haul thing. So I'm also very uh, aware and accepting of the situation that we're in, even though it's very difficult sometimes. So it's just about striking that balance, acknowledging it, but having those conversations out loud. I think people do get a bit awkward about it and they're worried about putting their foot in it. And that's completely understandable. But I think it's better to attempt a conversation than to ignore it or or try and do it yourself and balls it up. And I think that attitude is... I think that's relevant to most areas of uh human rights that any time that we're talking about any oppressed people i know we don't want to like we're all knackered and rightfully so from the current situation and things that we're talking about at the moment but i've seen it a lot with white friends who mean well and they want to make suggestions about things that we could do but sometimes they're making suggestions that's the opposite of what black activists and the black people that we know are saying are begging us to do. So please, like, talk to people first, don't make suggestions off your own back or from your own imagination. If it doesn't affect you, then you don't know. And equally just because I'm okay with something, it doesn't mean your other non-binary friend will be. It's nuanced and I think having some good general rules of thumb to to just keep the conversation open is important and you don't really need to know the nuances of every single person you just need to be aware that they exist and that in those moments you go ah this is something that might throw up some questions so I'll just ask them and just make sure they're okay with this I promise you that's that's a lot more than most people will do they tend to tread carefully and quietly and don't want to bring it up and they're scared to so be bold my friends be bold last question from sally this might piggyback off jilly's question but a discussion with a few people about what gender expression looks like at an early age as you try to express your truth are there signs or behaviors that parents or teachers or youth workers should look for and how can they help that's a lovely question sally i really like that one gender expression Basically, there's no way to know from somebody's behaviour definitely what their gender is. So you can have a very masculine woman, you can have a very feminine man, and all of those things, don't nece- you know, it doesn't necessarily mean anything. So unfortunately, Sally, there's no easy way or there's not like a tip that I can give you to look out for these things other than I think that the only way to deal with this and to support our young people is to have the discussion and to have open explicit conversations. Now you might not want to say it to somebody's face like one on one, are you a girl? Do you feel like a girl? (laughs) But you might instead invite a conversation, today we're going to talk about gender identity there is a variation just because somebody's told you that you're x y and z that doesn't necessarily make it true and it's okay i mean for example i know lots of feminine trans guys and masculine trans women like and non-binary people that span the entire spectrum i guess of or the constellation of Presentation, like how you look, how you communicate yourself in terms of the sort of masculine, androgynous, feminine aesthetic and and vibe. So I think it's more important than anything to just have these frank conversations. Normally, if children and young people have those expressions that are obvious and are maybe stereotypical, so you might have like a trans girl who at five she's like, I want to wear dresses, and you've you know who's very insistent uh if you look at people like jazz jennings she said from a very small age when she was a toddler she was like i'm a girl stop calling me a boy what's wrong with you she was extremely vocal always has been and for her it's it's very all i mean of course it's authentic but it's been that way for a long time and and she was very upfront about it from the beginning. I would say that she's very lucky and she's one of a minority who are very outspoken at a young age and who are very adamant. I hope that that changes and I hope that kids become more and more bold where they can state their truth if they understand what that is. Because for me, like I didn't have the words to express my stuff until I was in my 20s. I just didn't understand the word even before I knew even what transgender meant, the word or the concept. Even when I was a young child, I would wake up from dreams and ask myself, oh, am I a boy? And that to me seems mad now because I didn't even know that that existed. I didn't know this life and, and my community existed. So I just think it's important to make sure that it's an open space. And even if you can't address a group directly, maybe your job You know, it might be frowned upon or something like that. You could even say something like, oh, I have this non-binary friend who is saying this, that and the other. The second that they know that, first of all, you've got a friend who's non-binary and secondly, that you know how to talk about that person, even just in a passing comment, that's, that's a very subtle way of sending out a signal that says it's safe. You know, I love somebody who is like this and... I'm okay with it and I'm comfortable. I can bring it up in general conversation and it's absolutely fine. I think that speaks very loudly to the people who are really listening and who need that reassurance that you're you're not going to judge them and that you're familiar with people possibly like them and things like that. Oh, and also you said, and, and how can they help? Yeah, I think... Just being open, just being supportive and making sure that people really know that you're okay with it and that you know enough about it to at least start a conversation. You don't have to be an expert. I've been studying this stuff and reading about this stuff and talking to my community every day for six years and I still fuck it up. So don't worry too much about it. You don't have to be an expert. It's enough that somebody goes, I hear you. I sort of know what you're saying and I am totally open to what you want to say to me and we can talk anytime i 100 percent accept you i believe you those are really important things that you can do and would have made an amazing difference to me if i'd have known that these gender um, options or, or other members of my community were around when i was a kid i'm pretty sure i would have worked it out very quickly And it wouldn't have taken me so many years to work out who I really was after I stopped doing what was expected of me and pretending as hard as I possibly could. So thanks, Sally. Um, I hope that that answers your question. Thank you very much for all of your questions. Right, I'm gonna leave it there. I'm not gonna string it out any longer. Thank you for everyone who wrote in. If you, I think I've mentioned before, if you have any particular questions, it could be very specific to you. It could be very personal questions. Uh, if you've got maybe a particular issue that you face at work we can workshop that stuff for you you don't have to leave your name and you can even uh, message us privately if you go through the transaction website uh, which is com forward slash transaction we've got a contact uh, link on there as well so you can message us privately if you don't want it to be public and we can help you with stuff that's what we're here for We don't get paid to do these podcasts, but we want to do it because it's part of our mission and our care for other people. All that malarkey. Anyway, thank you for joining me on this one. Listen out. We've got two cracking, cracking episodes coming up. We've got a conversation between Jordan and I. Jordan's back, for those of you who really fancy Jordan. And there seems to be quite a lot of you. So uh, keep keep that admiration coming. I know it's very much appreciated. Jordan and I talk about our um, religious upbringings and then how that's impacted with our queer identities. All that sort of stuff is is, uh, big stories, big conversations, if you like that sort of thing. And uh, the other one is, of course, the interview with Juno Roche. That was lovely. We talked all about creativity. And, uh, well, you'll hear it when we release it because you'll listen to it because you're just that sort of person, just loyal and you enjoy all the things that come out of our mouths, (laughs) maybe not all of it, anyway, I'm going to shut up now, I'm going to bike ride with my cousin, don't worry, socially distanced, we're not breathing on each other, there's no like licking of faces, we're not, we're not animals, okay, humans, I obviously need to get off of here, because I'm chatting absolute shit now, and there's nobody here, I'm recording this on my own, there's nobody to like make a face at me, or be like, Harris, you need a break, I can't have a Kit Kat, because I'm celiac and it's got wheat in it and that you can tweet us at transaction p find us on instagram at transaction podcast on facebook under the transaction podcast you can also sign up for our mailing list www.mooksharrishill.com forward slash transaction until next time build bridges and have fun much love Bye bye